0: Our second scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. This comes to us from the teachings of Jesus after he sent out many of his disciples in mission for the first time. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Amen. It's been said and quoted widely that making a prediction is difficult, especially about the future. But predicting can also be fun. When I was a teenager, a little contraption called the magic eight ball perhaps some of you remember it, it's still around from what I understand, became a rather amusing and a playful tool for forecasting the future. Or maybe it was more wish casting. It was fairly straightforward. Ask a question, shake the ball, and through a little screen you could read a yes, no, or maybe so answer. To be precise, the gizmo offered 10 affirmative and 5 uncertain and then 5 doubtful responses, which meant that the probability of getting a yes to an ancient adolescence questions was quite high. So does the person I have a crush on have a crush on me? Am I going to pass that calculus exam on which my grade depends? How about winning the school election or becoming the lead scorer for the basketball team? Well, I can assure you as a thoroughly uncoordinated youth under 5'8", lead scorer was never in the cards for me. Nevertheless, the Magic 8 Ball offered a light-hearted approach to an uncertain future. I have an old friend by the name of Mike who comes about his predictions in a decidedly more systematic and pragmatic way. He is a self-described futurist. In fact, that's part of his job title in the corporate world. From his view, the future he predicts is, quote, translucent you can see the broad shapes and outlines, but not the fine details. And with this picture, he hopes to help his business, but also humanity at large avoid pitfalls and mitigate risks. As a responsible futurist, he sees himself as a censor and a sense maker. He emphasizes that the key for the futurist is quote, the idea that the future is plural. There are many possible futures. The Bible has its own responsible futurists. We call them prophets. And they often indeed announce future events. But the similarities seem to end there. You see, the kind of prophets that Jesus calls us to welcome in Matthew's Gospel are portrayed as a rather troublesome bunch. The long span of prophets, many of whom are revered in Judaism and Islam as well as Christianity from Noah to Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Miriam, Isaiah and Amos, Elijah from our reading this morning, and Anna in Luke's Gospel were disinclined to consult for power brokers or see themselves as innovators or influencers. In fact, most never had the credentials or connections to be taken seriously among the chattering and intellectual classes of their day. They had very underwhelming LinkedIn pages. But their principal aim was not to be disagreeable for its own sake. Today many would-be prophets relish the spectacle of making themselves known. But according to Abraham Joshua Heschel, renowned Jewish theologian who literally wrote a book, perhaps the book on the Hebrew prophets, biblical prophets would shrink, would lose themselves in the pathos or the passion of God they were rattled by a visceral feeling of God's love, grief, anger, and claim on their lives so that they could not help but speak the fire shut up in their bones. But that fire was embodied in ways that bordered on bizarre. Prophets laid on their side for 430 days in a row to pronounce judgment. They ate the parchment of scrolls. They married prostitutes and wandered the streets naked. By those standards, the encounter between Elijah and the widow of Seraphath seems decidedly mild. All this should remind us how undesirable it might be to welcome a prophet. And why the call of Jesus in Matthew's gospel to welcome prophets and righteous people and little ones was easier said than done. The widow of Zarephath struggles through a -a once-in-a-lifetime famine. Unable to feed her family, bereft of support, Elijah's request to her was an intrusion without any clear sign of blessing or reward. It is exactly why you should stay away from prophets and righteous folk. And yet Jesus says, welcome prophets anyway. Elijah wasn't just a drain on resources. To societal elites like Israelite King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he became a nagging irritant. As theologian Walter Brueggemann tells it, Elijah was guilty of, quote, imagining the world as if Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the creator of heaven and earth were a real character and a lively agent in the life of the world. These two corrupt rulers preferred to live a fantasy that no arbiter of justice was watching them And that there was no standard for justice, save the one that they themselves invented. Elijah publicly dissented. And as any good futurist might do, he casts a vision of the future, which invites either their repentance or predicts their downfall. To invite an Elijah to eat with you or counsel you is to invite trouble. And yet Jesus says, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Jezebel and Ahab had a prophet in their midst, but failed to treat him as one. Yet the widow of Zarephath received the same prophet into the place of her poverty, daring to believe his preposterous predictions that her meager rations would outlast the hunger threatening to overtake them both. I hope each of you have someone in your life who can meet you in the place of hardship, telling you words of provocation, but also of hope that remind you that your life has value in God's future. Each of us needs prophets. But communities need prophets too. The Methayan community of Jesus' followers sought them. In the wake of the resurrection, the early church was subject to somewhat regular purges at the hands of the Roman Empire. And after the fall of the Jerusalem temple in 70 CE, its days within Judaism were numbered. In such a fear-ridden and contested climate, this community gave fresh urgency to Jesus' words about welcoming prophets and righteous persons and little ones. Such hospitality was a material lifeline for persecuted and vulnerable disciples on the run, as well as the communities sheltering them. But we can surmise it also prevented the community from folding in on itself in fear. By being open to itinerant prophets and servants, Christian communities could welcome Jesus' imaginative vision of a divine future beyond the Roman Empire's illusory version of it. Yes, communities need prophets and nations do too. This coming week will mark the 247th birthday of the United States. Now, as Presbyterians, we dare not confine God's glory, activity, and care in the world to our particular corner of it. We are not Christian nationalists but we can honor any attempt to live into the values that resonate with the heart of God. But those attempts are only successful when illuminated by the prophetic imagination. And as a country, I've observed that the United States tends to do well when it welcomes and listens to prophets and struggles when it dismisses and ignores them. Sometimes they come in distressing disguise. Did you know that in 1944, the United States opened what would become its only refugee camp during World War II? In the third year of the war, a thousand refugees, mostly Jewish, were shuttled to Oswego, New York, confined to a well-guarded old fort. It was a blue-collar town of some 18,000, complete with factories and mills. And given the war climate, few were actually eager to welcome these newcomers. But one teenager named Frances decided to cross the threshold and began gathering her friends to speak to the kids through the fences. A few awkward English how-are-you's, and she tried out Italian that she learned from her mother, who came from Italy. And many of those refugees had spent time in Italy themselves on their way to the United States, and hearing the language resonated with them to the point that they finally felt at ease, befriended, welcomed. With the help of those like Francis, the town came to learn from their neighbors. One article describing the situation said, quote, interacting with the refugees, seeing their gaunt and frightened figures upon arrival and hearing their stories through the fence, many Oswegans had their eyes opened. Open to the terror of lives ripped open, open to the injustices they were insulated from, open to the dreams of God and the wisdom and the folkways of people that they had never known. What strikes me about this story is not that these refugees had some superlative powers of perception or read fortunes or uttered hard truths in thunderous prose, but that as they told their stories, they expanded the imaginations of the people in this town. They did the first order of prophets. In their own slight way, they helped project and shape a different world telling of a new possible future. Those refugees were treading on the same prophetic ground as abolitionists and suffragists and scientists and civil rights activists and philanthropists who have jarred open our civic sensibilities and pushed us to imagine new possibilities. What was brewing in that refugee camp and the welcome that came out of it was a different imagination for what the US could be that it happened here but not in Manzanar internment camp in California reminds us of how precarious and episodic the prophetic imagination can be. It appears and sometimes it recedes. Even so, it will not arise from the vacuum of our own private thoughts. Our insular attempts At dreaming, God's future will only produce delusions and deceptions unless we invite our prophetic neighbors into the process. You don't get prophetic imagination without welcoming actual flesh-in-the-bone prophets. Prophets say things that are disagreeable and they invite us not simply to accept their words without dissension, but to wrestle with them until we find insight. And yet Jesus says, welcome them anyway. Prophets will make us vulnerable to ridicule from others. To to welcome them may put some of our social capital in jeopardy. And yet the favor of God we gain from their presence is greater than what we lose in the sight of others. And so Jesus says, welcome them anyway. And God sends those who aren't perfect, and they might not even be righteous all the time, but for the appointed time and purpose, they are God's messengers. And so Jesus says, welcome them anyway. Now, in Chicago, we sometimes say we don't want nobody, nobody sent. But prophets sometimes come in the form of little ones we didn't ask for. And so Jesus says, and I think you can help me with this one, welcome them anyway. Amen. Amen.